Okay, we're in Micah. How many of you remember Micah? How many were here last week for Sam's excellent preach? Wonderful. Micah's in the Old Testament. It's one of the 12 minor prophets. And why is it minor? It's minor because it's not as long as prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah. But the message isn't minor. The message is significant. The message is major. It's very important and it speaks to us today. And we're focusing on chapters 2 and 3. Now, last week, Sam did a session, and his was on bad politics. What about the problems caused by the rich and powerful? Bad politics. And do listen to that on our website. And this week, he's given me the theme of, what about religious leaders? What about bad religion? And I think there's a key aspect going on in these two chapters of Micah. And we've, we've taken the two chapters for two weeks because there's a theme of political leaders And there's also a theme of spiritual leaders running through it. And the relationship between religion and state is one of the real issues there. Spiritual leaders, political leaders, are they acting in a godly way or are they in collusion in a bad way? And obviously the key issue is one of power. And that famous quote attributed to Lord Acton or something like that, he said, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. So there's an issue of power, power in the state, and power in the spiritual community. And that's an issue that played out in Micah's day, and that's an issue that's still playing out today. Power can be used really well. Power can be used to organize people, to inspire people to do their best, to achieve loads, to care for the poor, to build community. But also there's a huge temptation to abuse power. And in news broadcasts every day, you see issues of power being abused nationally or in the workplace. And you see it amongst in your relationships, families and friends. There's real issues with power. How do we handle power well? I want to flick back to Micah's time or before Micah's time and think for a few minutes about ancient Israel. And God operated originally through family, through family. And he said to Abram these words in Genesis 12, Go from your country, from your family, and from your father's household to the land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families on earth shall be blessed. So God's plan was to bless all the families of the earth. And he called uh, a couple, Abraham and Sarai, who were renamed Abraham and Sarah. And God worked through family. And then we hear of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's how God is working originally uh, with the people he's calling. Now, obviously, these days we might have an issue with patriarchy, but that's another question. I haven't got time to go there today. But God's rule is running through his chosen people, is running down family lines. And then Jacob was renamed Israel, and so the nation of Israel began. And there's a notion of theocracy. God is ruling through his chosen leaders, people like Moses and Joshua. And then we get the judges. And the judges aren't kind of courtroom judges, but they're the leaders, the main leaders of the people. And apart from them, there were two key roles in God's society that he'd formed in the people of Israel, the role of the priest and the role of the prophet. 
And the priests could organize the worship of God, could make God's laws known, could bring offerings to forgive people of their sins. And the prophets were there to fearlessly speak the word of God. And when things were going off track, they would call the people back on track. So God is working through his people. A nation is formed. And there are priests and prophets that uh, are speaking for God and acting for God on behalf of the nation. And then they had these judges in the theocracy right up to Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people say, we don't want you as a judge anymore. We want a king. We want a king like all the other nations. And after that, you get three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon in the United Kingdom. And then the kingdom divides, and you get Israel and Judah in the divided kingdom. And in Micah's time, he's speaking when the, the kingdoms are in the land, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and it's at the time of the divided kingdom. And to function well, Israel needed the three offices to work in a godly way. David was a godly king. That worked well. He was far from perfect. Uh, The Bible records his sins, but he was largely a godly king. The priests were serving the people in that time, and the prophets were doing their job. And if you know the story, Nathan challenged even the king with that prophetic word about his sins. So king, priests, and prophets working well. But the offices of power weren't working well in Micah's time, so he needs to challenge that. Things have gone wrong in the community. And this is what Micah says. I've just got a a few uh, bits from uh, those chapters 2 and 3. We haven't got time to read them all. What sorrow awaits you who lie awake at night thinking up evil plans? This is to the, the powerful. This is to the rich. This is to the leaders. And Sam spelled this out very ably last week. You rise at dawn when you've thought about evil plans all night and you hurry to carry them out simply because you've got the power to do so. Power can so easily be abused. When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man of his property, stealing his family's inheritance, which would put them in poverty. And then continue, and you steal the shirts right off the backs of those who trusted you, making them as ragged as men returning from battle. You've evicted women from their peasant houses and forever stripped their children of all that God would give them. There were things wrong with the powerful and the wealthy. There were things wrong in the nation at the time. It doesn't kind of go away. We just heard about food bank. These issues aren't just something Two and a half thousand years ago, there's some things that are still very pertinent today. And we can think back, not even our current time, but ten years ago, the financial crisis. What was happening? Unscrupulous people working for powerful banks were lending people money, mis-selling them stuff, lending them huge loans they knew they'd never be able to pay back. It was a really bad deal. Eventually, the whole thing blew up, but lots of poor people were suckered in and ruined financially. So these kind of things go on today. You got the message. I'm not going to repeat what Sam said last week. But what about the religious leaders? And I've, I've gone back to the political leaders because I think the two are intertwined and it's a twin issue, not just completely separate. 
Well, Micah speaks out against them as well. And he says these things. Suppose a prophet full of lies would say to you, I'll preach to you the joys of wine and alcohol. That's just the kind of prophet you would like. So he's talking to the people and saying, you just want to hear, you don't want to hear the word of God. You want to hear it's great to get drunk. That's the, kind of, that's the state of the nation spiritually. That's kind of, kind of sarcastic condemnation. And then he speaks to the, the prophets and he calls them false prophets. You false prophets are leading my people astray. He's speaking in God's voice here. You're leading my people astray. You promise peace for those who give you food but you declare war on those who refuse to feed you. So the people that are supposed to speak from God in the spiritual community are motivated by gluttony and greed, and they're not doing the job that God's given them. That's prophets, and then the priests, the other class of people, remember the prophets and the priests. The priests, you priests, teach God laws only for a price, and you prophets won't prophesy unless you're paid. And the the spiritual heart of the nation is trapped in gluttony and in financial greed. And they're meant to be different from the the powers of this world. But greed has invaded there. And the cry of the 1990s was greed is good. And then you get a mess in, in the noughties as a result. And back in Micah's time, it was true there. Instead of standing for God, the priests and prophets are corrupted as corrupted as the kings and other leaders and the wealthy. And there's collusion going on. There are unjust structures, and people are motivated by getting money for themselves. And this is a, a danger in life, a danger in society, a persistent danger. But Micah is a true prophet. Micah's a true prophet. And he doesn't dishonor God. He acts as he should, as one of the spiritual community. He's a true prophet, but they were seemingly rare at the time and maybe true prophets are rare in our day as well let's fast forward to the church age and we move from israel to the church jesus came jesus said i'll build my church the new community of god a new humanity bought with jesus sacrifice on the cross and this wonderful grouping of people this hodgepodge Uh, of people from different classes and backgrounds came together as the disciples and then grew into the church of God. And they were a persecuted minority. And in the world's terms, they were powerless. They had no political power. Their only power was the power of God's Holy Spirit. Their only power was the power of personal self-sacrifice and lives laid down. Their only power was their moral integrity and their caring for the poor. And there's one uh, martyr saint, I can't remember what his name was now, and uh, he was running a church in his house, and the Roman soldiers in the early church days came and uh, saw there were people in and out of the house and said, show us your treasure, we want your treasure. And uh, the guy went to a room at the back of the house, opened the door, and the room was filled with cripples, and blind people that were being fed and cared for. And he said, here's our treasure. And the Roman soldiers weren't very uh, amused by that and executed him. But that was the, the power of Christians, the persecuted minority that were laying their lives down. Then fast forward again 
to this gentleman to around 310 AD. And that uh, man is Constantine, or meant to be Constantine. And against all the odds, he won a battle to become Roman emperor. He beat, he beat uh, Maxentius at the Milvian Bridge. And the story goes that he prayed to the supreme God and then saw a cross of light in the sky with the words, in this sign, conquer. And that was the inspiration for Constantine. And the cross was the first two letters of the, the Greek for Christ, the X and P, the Chi and Rho there. And so was it the cross of Jesus or was it this sign? We don't know. And there are some doubts about his real faith. Did he really come to Jesus at the time or was he worshipping the sun god? Was it a kind of sun image in the sky he saw, not the image of Jesus? And uh, there's stuff actually you could read on the internet saying uh, we shouldn't worship on Sunday because the Sabbath was Friday night to Saturday and Sunday is because of Constantine and they're really worshipping the sun god on Sunday. You're not feeling the warmth this morning. But uh, the Bible says that Christians wanted to gather together on the first day of the week because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. So I don't believe that. But there's kind of mixed feeling about Constantine. But he was baptized just a few days before his death, so there was something of faith there. But it was a big change for the church at that time. And Constantine kind of came along and said, would you like to stop being killed, church? Would you like to stop being killed? Would you like to stop being persecuted? Would you like to have some money from the state? Would you like legal recognition? Would you like to pay no taxes anymore? And would you like to help run the country? And if I think I was part of the church at the time, I kind of, I'd go for that. Would you go for that? I think I would have gone for that. And so he began to protect and promote the church with the Egypt of Milan in 313 AD. And there are two views about this. One is it was a great opportunity to prefer the church and to promote the gospel through the structures of society. It's a wonderful thing what Constantine did. And there are other people, view two, is that it was a disaster. It changed the church for bad. It promoted bad religion. It corrupted the church's moral integrity. It diluted its spiritual integrity. And its doctrines could get twisted by political and cultural forces rather than the pure doctrine of Jesus And I love the church as the family of God, as the body of Christ, but I think there's actually a lot to be said for view two about corruption in the church. And uh, religion got on the same page as politics, and it often proved to be the wrong page. The church and state became two sides of the same coin. The Holy Roman Empire was later created. The Pope crowned Charlemagne Uh, Holy Roman Emperor on Christmas Day, 800 AD, and kind of a thousand years of Christendom, Christendom or Constantinianism, where the church and state are linked, and that affects Europe and dominates Western culture for a thousand years. Was it good? I think there was some good in it, but I think it caused the church to lose some of the radical teaching of Jesus If power corrupts, it could bring corruption into the church. And there's the idea, if you're born into the nation, 
then you ought to belong to the national church. If you're a child of this nation, you ought to belong to the national church if the church and state are linked. And so you can baptize babies, get them baptized into the church. And rather than a free choice of conversion, there could be coercion to join the church and say you're a Christian. And if you committed a sin, if the church and state are linked, that sin could be decided to be a crime by the state, not just a sin that you go to the church for forgiveness, but a crime as well. And the persecuted could turn and become the persecutors. And that happened. It happened from the so-called church at the time. Christians did indeed persecute the Jews and people they called dissenters or heretics. We haven't got time to go through the whole story. But I believe that until Jesus returns, I don't think church and state should be in each other's pockets. I think there should be a separation there. And the church is linked with the state. It's a bit weak in the UK, isn't it? But you see other nations in the world where religion and state power are interlinked. You think of Saudi Arabia, think of Pakistan, some of the stories, this woman uh, whose life is under threat even though she's been found innocent and what's happened with some Saudi actions recently. So it's dangerous. It can be dangerous. Power and spirituality linked together in the wrong kind of way. And there's something called disestablishmentarianism. And I'm reliably told that anti-disestablishmentarianism isn't the longest word in the dictionary. But uh, So the last time we tried Brexit, the last time we tried Brexit, Henry VIII kind of broke from Europe, broke from the Pope, broke from rule from Rome. But the church and state came together, and the monarch became head of the church. That's a bit weird, isn't it? I thought Jesus was head of the church. So I think, I, in principle, and I've got nothing against the Church of England, and lots of fantastic C of E churches around doing brilliant stuff, but on principle, I think I'd be with the campaign to separate church and state and not have the Church of England established anymore. I don't think the Anglican Church is exactly the Spanish Inquisition, but I think in principle you do need a separation of church and state. And thinking of Micah's condemnations, I think there are three prophetic judgments that he was making. A, that religion is in collusion with politics to the detriment of ordinary people. And in our day, a more clear separation between church and state should help to guard against that. B, that religious leaders are in it for the money. And then finally, C, I think Micah's condemnation in 2 and 3 is the prophetic voice is corrupted or silent. I just want to look at those last two briefly. And uh, we're still in history, but we'll get out of it soon. Spiritual leaders, the church in it for the money. And going back in history, going back to the 13th century, any idea who that's meant to be on your left? Thomas Aquinas, philosopher and uh, monk, and he went to see Pope Innocent II back in the 13th century. And what was the Pope doing? He was sitting at his table with loads of money across it. What do Popes do? They collect all the money. And uh, he had a conversation with him, and the Pope looked at all this money that the church had, and he said, you see, Thomas, 
the church is no longer in that age in which she said, silver and gold have I none. And that goes back to Acts when Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And then Aquinas replied, true, Holy Father, and neither can we any longer say to the lame, rise up and walk. We've traded our spiritual power for political and financial power. And money does corrupt. And then the, the word up there, indulgences. Who knows about indulgences? A number of you do. So it's Roman Catholic teaching. Most people are not good enough to go into God's presence. You're not good enough to go to heaven. So you have to go to purgatory and get yourself sorted out for hundreds of years. And eventually you might get to heaven unless you're a saint. That's not correct teaching. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We're saved because we're forgiven by him. We're saved by his righteousness. Grace alone from God and righteousness that comes from Jesus, not ourselves. So it's a false teaching. But there's the idea that your poor relatives are stuck in purgatory and indulgences where if you pay the church money, we'll pray for you and they'll shoot ahead and get closer to heaven. So you give us your money and uh, we'll shoot ahead and uh, they'll get nearer to heaven. What's the building in the middle? Yeah, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Anyone been there? Love that building. The early parts of that building were built out of money given for indulgences with the church leaders kind of conning people to give money to help their relatives get nearer to heaven uh, so yeah I like old fantastic buildings but some of the history is a real problem and then this guy comes along Martin Luther a German monk he saw the problems in the church particularly, particularly um, indulgences and he was a spoil sport and uh, the Protestant Reformation started and you can see there's real issues with power and, that, uh, uh, and money that needed to be challenged. And the church was raking in money for wrong purposes. There's a problem with power. There's a problem with money. And the prophetic voice can be corrupt or silent. But people like Thomas and people like Martin Luther did speak out. And people like Micah did as well. It's an opinion that I think there's a danger, partly based on Micah prophesying about the church and state being, or the spiritual community and the political leaders being in collusion in a bad way. I think there can be a danger there, and that's been proven at times in history. And it's my opinion. Uh, we talked about kings, priests, and prophets, and I think we need to be careful about the church being in political power as an institution. So I've put a small king there, a caution about the church holding political power. I think the church should definitely be in its priestly role. Priests go to God on behalf of people. So we go to God in worship and prayer. And priests go out to people on behalf of God. So we take the good news of Jesus out to people. So I've got a big priest and a fairly big prophet as well. I think the church should not be in collusion with the state and wrapped up in a wrong way in issues of power and money, but the church should be free to be a prophetic voice in society and to speak God's word of love and justice. Yep. 
Yep, it is. Yep. So this this point is the church and state maybe needing the right kind of separation and the church being in a good place and speaking into it. But the other issue here is that the church can get it wrong as well. And that's what Micah is saying. And uh, that's really helpful that uh, you mentioned the, the child abuse thing. We'll mention that just as we close in a minute. But Micah was a true prophet, and he said this, But as for me, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord. I'm filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that's right. You're building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. And so Micah fearlessly challenges the leaders today. And I'd like the church to be in a place where it had its act together, had the right kind of separation from the the engine of power, but could speak into it the word of God. So where does that leave us? And uh, Sam mentioned this last week, kind of the dead prophet society. The people that have spoken out most powerfully against corruption have obviously paid for it with their lives. And um, this is uh, obviously uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, he, as you probably know, was a pastor in Germany. He was really uh, grieved at the way the church seemed to be holding back and colluding with the Nazis or not speaking out against the Nazis. And he started a group within the church called the Confessing Church that had a more pure position and wanted to be more distant from the state. He came to London. That's why a church around the corner is called the Bonhoeffer Memorial Church. Lived in London and was a pastor here for a couple of years in the 30s. Then he had a friend in New York, and he went out to America for a month. And he decided to not to stay in America during the war and be safe, but to come back to Germany and speak truth to power and stand against what the Nazis were doing. A very brave and bold and prophetic move. And this is one of the things he said, if I sit next to a madman as he drives a car into a group of innocent bystanders, I can't, as a Christian, simply wait for the catastrophe, then comfort the wounded and bury the dead. I must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver. And the other quote that's attributed to him, but I've read stuff that says it wasn't him after all. Uh, Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And you'll find that's attributed to him. But I've seen stuff that said he didn't actually say it. So these are some of the issues. They are quite complex. When I say that there should be separation between church and state, it's so the church can be a prophetic voice to the state when there are issues to be challenged. But obviously that depends on the church being close to Jesus and living to Jesus. And it doesn't mean that I want Christians out of all politics. I, don't, I think it's fine that Christians get involved in politics. I think in a democratic society we should make our votes and have our say and play a part in local government or central government. But... I do feel that the church has been, in history, sucked into wrong political alliance with the states to the detriment and corruption of the church. Examples today, I thought of a couple. Welby versus Wonga. 
you remember Welby versus Wonga? And uh, our Archbishop, Justin Welby, uh, said that these payday loans and what Wonga and others were doing was terrible and ripping poor people off, which is why they turn up at, at Food Bank and condemn that. Was he right to do that? I think he was. What happened immediately afterwards? But some very good journalists, and we love journalists, said, hang on a minute, we've done our research. You're Church of England, you've got money invested in Wonga. What are you saying? So these are quite complex issues, aren't they? And uh, yet I think they got rid of their Wonga shares. Um, but the, we can get caught up. It's hard to be completely outside society, isn't it? But we do need to speak up for things like he did. And then what happened? Wonga's gone bust. So he's right to speak up. But the church that he represented had, had shares in the company. And so things are, are quite mixed. It's very hard to be purist, but we've got to find a Christ-like way through. And uh, other financial transactions and ethical banking and things like that are really, really important. Uh, another one was obviously the sex abuse scandals. And if the church is going to speak into society. It needs to have its act together. You could argue that people involved weren't true Christians, but they're operating in offices in the church, in the name of the church, and I'm sure Micah would have been absolutely horrified and scandalized as we are and should be. But because their church does fail, it doesn't mean we've got nothing to say. We do need to be involved. We do need to speak as God leads us. We do need to stand against corruption in society. And Jesus said this in John eighteen thirty six: My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And it's the balance of being in the world but not of the world. So if we get our values, if we get our point of reference, if we're living out of heaven, out of the teaching of Jesus, out of him being the way, the truth, and the life, that's good. We can live in the world in that kind of way. But we don't want to be living in the world driven by the values of the world. And it's a hard distinction. Jesus didn't say come out of the world, avoid everyone, escape from everything. He wants us in the world, but coming out of heaven, in him, out of him, and not living by the values and standards of the world. But it's a hard one to, to live, and there are failings that in the church where we, we completely get it wrong. What happened 100 years after Micah was that the people did not repent, the spiritual community did not get its act together, and they went into exile. And you may feel, like, you know, I'm not living in heaven, I'm not living in the kingdom of God right now. I'm in exile in this world. But Jeremiah 29 verse 7 is a key verse, and I think that does govern the way we should be. It says this, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And he does want us to be engaged and a blessing to the cities and communities we're a part of, rather than just attacking them or pretending we're too holy and we're not part of society. But we do need to find our prophetic voice and we do need to stand for Jesus. 
and gone back to Food Bank, and we have there both Paul Glennie, who's teaching the kids now, happily packing a bag. That's when the shelves were more full of food. They're not full like that at the moment. And there's Luke Elwood's dad there working away. We lost Luke, but we got his dad. Uh, And I love serving people at Food Bank. People love working as part of the team uh, at Food Bank. And the verses I associate it with are these in Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you're blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And it's wonderful in that spirit and in the name of Jesus to be able to give food to people in need. And it's also uh, useful in society because food banks collect all these statistics. We know exactly how many people come and why they're coming, what their needs are. And if you listen to the news, you know, all these people are going to food banks. And that's been something that's gone into the debate about universal credit and the reality of what's going on with that and these delays of five weeks or even more of no money and no benefits. Food banks are are meeting a need. Food banks are serving people in the name and with the love of Jesus. Food banks are praying for people and also speaking to society because there's evidence of what's going wrong with government policy. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, I've run out of time, I think. I had loads more slides about different things we could get involved in, whether it's prison work, whether it's uh, the issue of gambling. There's all sorts of issues that we can be different from the world and we can speak positively and prophetically into the world to make a difference for Jesus. I just want to end with the kind of thing Sam landed on last week or referenced last week. He talked about open eyes, open mouths and open hearts. And he wanted us to have open eyes so that we see injustice. Our eyes are open. We're not blind to it. Sam said we should have open mouths, daring to speak up in the right way, in the way that Micah and others have done. And open hearts as well, not kind of hating and condemning people. So if you're issuing a prophetic warning, if you're speaking up against injustice, believe for people to be changed and transformed by the love of God. Don't just set yourself up as someone that's holier than thou, condemning everyone else. It's important to have that open heart as well. And then Sam said, what have you got a passion for? What have you got a passion for? How can God use you to speak into some sort of situation in our day and age? So open eyes, seeing injustice, open mouths, daring to speak, but open hearts, loving people, even the people that we're challenging. And I'd like us to to finish just by praying and and praying into that as well. Is there some issue that you need to be involved in, in the name of Jesus? It's been a bit of a history tour, uh, and we're looking at these issues of the church and state. How intertwined should they be? There are big issues there, but there's also issues of me and what I do with my time and money, and what God can use me to do to make a difference in this day and age. Let's stand together and pray.
Perhaps Sam and the band could get up and I'll hand back to Scott in a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for Prophet Micah. We thank you that rather than being uh, like those priests that were in it for the money and not declaring the word of God, rather than being like those prophets that were just saying everything's fine when it wasn't fine, he was just motivated by your love, motivated to speak your truth, motivated to be fearless in the face of opposition from people around. And Lord, we want to know what it is to live for you and to see change in politics and to see a community of faith truly honoring you and having an authentic prophetic voice speaking for you but also living for you with real integrity. And Lord, as we worship now, help us to have open eyes, help us to have open mouths when we go from here, and help us to have soft and open hearts to your love. And Lord, if there's something you want me to see, if there's something you want me to say, if there's something you want me to do, please reveal it to me now. And fill me with your spirit to have the power to do what you want me to do. Thank you, Jesus.